Welcome to Fintech Impact. This podcast is an exploration of the financial technology world, interviewing different fintech entrepreneurs about what they do, their story, and what their impact is on consumers, incumbents, and the industry as a whole. Here's your host, award-winning financial planner, university lecturer, and writer, Jason Pereira. Hello, and thanks for joining me yet again on Fintech Impact. I'm Jason Pereira. Today on the show, I have Athelia Del Bruce. Athelia is the public relations manager for One Ledger. One Ledger is a company that is focusing on creating interoperability between blockchains. Essentially, what they're doing is trying to create an API level so that blockchains can communicate with each other. So basically, you'll be able to do a smart contract in Ethereum and transact in Bitcoin and do things in whatever other blockchain you need to do to get them done. That is something that was actually never really built into the system from day one. So they're working on creating the communication between them. So with that, this is my interview with Athelia. Hello, Athelia. Hello. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. So, Athelia, last name pronounced Dokus? Dobrus, sorry. Yes, it's My uh, Do like Jindo and Bruce like Brussel. I should have had that. That's Do a lot easier than it sounds. Exactly. Okay, so Athelia, please tell us about One Ledger Technology. So basically, uh, One Ledger, the One Ledger technology is trying to resolve the interoperability issue of blockchains, meaning that uh, right now blockchains do not talk to each other. So if you are on a blockchain platform, you cannot transfer data from that platform to another. So let's say that you were using a smart contract on the Ethereum platform, which is really the platform of choice for smart contracts, mm -hmm. but uh, you wanted to leverage uh, the popularity of a, a cryptocurrency such as Bitcoin, which is obviously more popular than Ethereum, mm -hmm. you'll be able to use a smart, uh, an Ethereum smart contract to, like, to transact okay. on, on that contract. So, so okay. basically, one ledger allows you to basically transfer data around uh, regardless on the underlying protocol of, of, the, of that blockchain. Okay. Uh, lots to dissect. We're going to come back to it. For those of you who are having trouble blockchain, there was the FinTech 101 episode. Please go back and listen to that where I explain it hopefully well. <laughs> so we'll see. So tell me about your personal journey and how you came to be with OneLedger. So I've been working for in the investment management industry for almost a decade a little bit more than a decade. And I think a couple of years ago, I started reading a lot of articles about blockchains because, uh, and specifically Bitcoin because it was becoming more and more popular. It's the big one. Exactly. Yeah. And then the firm that I was working with, which is Manolife Asset Management, had started to build a tech team around this technology. So oh. I thought, well, I mean, maybe I could get into this because it sounds quite interesting. And then I come across this course offered by York University on Ethereum development, Ethereum being one of the blockchain platforms. So I took it and then I've just talked to the industry ever since. And uh, it's been a, a very exciting journey so far. Excellent. The founder, who are the founders? Can you tell me about them and what drove them to start the company? So One Ledger actually uh, was funded by David Cao. Uh, so David Cao is an architect, an engineer architect who came from China and then built his own consulting business and started working with a couple of uh, Fortune 500 companies such as IBM, implementing te their technology for them. And then he started learning about uh, Hyperledger, which is another type of blockchain. Yep. And then seeing the issues that blockchain platforms were having, he decided to create one ledger as a solution. 
Good. So let's go back to this concept of the transfer of uh, data between uh, different blockchains. So we're not talking about like necessarily the currency aspect here. We're literally looking at the smart contract aspect of blockchain, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So then, you know, explain to the listeners what the benefit of the interoperability of these different blockchain networks would be. So, yes, yeah, so the benefit is being able to uh, pick and choose and the different features that uh, different blockchain platforms might have. Because right now, if you are on a Bitcoin platform, Bitcoin blockchain platform, and I don't know if listeners already know this, but there is Bitcoin the currency and Bitcoin the actual technology underlying mm -hmm. the currency. So if you're on that platform, uh, it might be difficult for you to create a smart contract, for mm -hmm. example, right? And then if you're, you were on another platform, it will be actually impossible for you to use Bitcoin to operate that smart contract. Mm -hmm. So having a sort of bridge between those platforms allows you to get a synergy that is not out there right now. That's the reason why you yeah. need... So, I mean, I could theoretically that. create a smart contract in Ethereum, mm -hmm. and then I could, in turn, basically settle that contract using Bitcoin as a currency, just as exactly. a simple example. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, given that there are, like, thousands of cryptocurrencies out there now, mm -hmm. and many of them are, you know, basically very functional in terms of what they do in the back end for people, uh, that I can definitely see the value of that. The question becomes, so, so do you have examples of current uh, utilizations you can give us? Interoperability. Oh, like an example of an actual use case that has existed thus far. For just the interoperability yeah. part of things. Yeah. Not that it's existing, but could potentially exist. It's still early stage. Exactly. So I want to I understand. I want a real world example where you can basically tell people mm -hmm. how this would benefit them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sure. So let's say that, for example, a company like Manulife yep. was operating its processes on a blockchain platform. Let's just say. Fair enough. And then I can only um, hope in the future that'll happen. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> and then they have this custodian called State Street. And then State Street is an, on another blockchain platform because each blockchain platforms are on different systems. They are yeah. using different, different nodes, protocols. Different protocols. Exactly. Everything yeah. is different. different architecture, yeah. They wouldn't be able to transfer data between each other. So when came uh, the month end, for example, these two entities are supposed to transfer data between mm -hmm. each other, but because there isn't a bridge between them, because they are using these different blockchain platforms, they will actually have to do reconciliations of those data manually. Which is the entire point that blockchain is trying to avoid. Exactly. So basically, interoperability could solve that problem. So that makes sense. I mean, yeah. you know, we, we hear a lot about different companies talking about setting up their own private blockchains. I mean, Bitcoin and Ethereum are one thing. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I've heard speculation of like basically entire stock exchanges running their own private blockchains. So that right. the dealers basically each maintain their own record as well, but the entire stock exchange is essentially kind of distributed away from one location, right? Mm -hmm. And the ability to, say, reconcile one, the Canadian versus the U.S. stock exchanges and have them, you know, they may not be speaking the same language because of the needs or desires of, mm -hmm. that, of that institution and having them communicate each other. So essentially what you're doing, I'm, I'm borrowing this term from the graphic I'm looking at on your website, you're basically creating an API gateway layer. Mm -hmm. for all blockchain right that is okay that is very cool and very mm -hmm. uh, so again for those of you who need to know what an api is go back and listen to the fitcoin <laughs> the oh, okay. 101 episode yeah, yeah. I, I actually uh, check it out too well, at it this might point, be very I interesting it. i'm recording it next uh, okay. week and it's going to broadcast before this one goes out uh, okay, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. So that's, so that's interesting. So in terms of the level of interest, how many conversations are you guys having with like large institutions at this point? Is this still kind of early and abstract to them? Are they recognizing this as a problem? So definitely a lot of institutions recognize this as a problem. And another firm that is actually Canadian is called Nuco. Mm-hmm. And they are also developing their version of interoperability and the product is called Aeon. But my point is, uh, so there is, the industry knows that there is a strong need for this. Mm-hmm. And so uh, a couple of firms have come together or on their own to solve the issue. Yeah. And so, for example, for One Ledger, we have uh, on our board, already on our board, but as a partner, we have Polymath, which is another type of blockchain platform. And uh, what Polymath is trying to do is facilitate the issuing of uh, secretized tokens. So they see the value in one ledger. So very early on, uh, they've uh, decided to partner with it. And so our advisor is the CEO of the co-CEO of, of uh, Polymath. Uh, we also have one of the one of the biggest VCs in Asia. Forgetting the name right now, I'm having a blank. But yeah, one of those those biggest VCs that are also uh, very interested in uh, in partnering with us and actually have invested in the one ledger technology. So yes, there is definitely a lot of interest from the traditional side, but as well as the the just like new industry. Interesting. Yeah. It's interesting because as you're talking, I'm sitting back thinking like, you know, this all seems like a gaping hole that should have been dealt with initially. But I mean, you know, you think back to the original paper uh, by Satoshi and you mm-hmm. know, the reality is, is that this was never, con- blockchain is first of all, never even referenced in the paper. Exactly. Uh-huh. And it was never really conceived of in terms of smart contracts. That was mm-hmm. later on with Vitalik and, 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 right. and Ethereum. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because, yeah, I never, it never crossed my mind that as we've been talking about, oh yeah, we can use this to like transfer ownership rights of, fi- of property and then mm-hmm. currency and all this other stuff. But we never built a communication layer for talking between them. Mm-hmm. So you guys are filling a need I didn't even know existed. But if I had sat and thought about it for five minutes, I would have found it. <laughs> and you think about you know the, how that can, I think about the number of ways you guys can impact everyday life, and it kind of blows the mind, right? Like if we get to a point where I can, yeah, settle you know a transaction for a home purchase, mm-hmm. right, on a blockchain, which right. is a, which is a good use for it. Mm-hmm. But you know I need to communicate. The money needs to transfer between a trust agent and and eventually the owner. That will all that could all type that could be done on blockchain, but they wouldn't talk to each other unless you guys build this system. And it's kind of funny too. What I find difference about this, and maybe it's because of the way the systems are set up, everybody else, the way an API works is every individual company sets up their own API mm-hmm. and then they all right. get to talk mm-hmm. to each other. Yeah. You guys are kind of almost creating like the app store for API. Like right. literally everything clears through your system, mm-hmm. not the individuals. Right. Yeah. Do you have any kind of, you know, has the community, the crypto community been concerned about that kind of almost power line within one or a handful of institutions to create that kind of, that kind of link? Well, I mean, the beauty of blockchain is that it's a decentralized platform, right? So one ledger will be a decentralized platform mm-hmm. and essentially it will belong to the token holders and, and the community Fair enough. Uh, will have uh, So it's another power. blockchain technically. Exactly. Like, so yeah. it's the blockchain underneath other blockchains. Fair enough. <laughs> it's yeah. blockchain squared. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. So, I mean, how do you guys even, I think about all the number of blockchains that are that are opening up and the number of currencies opening up, mm-hmm. like honestly, on a daily basis. There's, mm-hmm. there's websites where you can literally go in, change it, set a couple features and ta-da, there's your code, right? Like that easily. Like, mm-hmm. how much of a concern is it for you guys to stay on top of that sort of thing? Mm-hmm. Like, do you have to create the links to all these things? Like, how's it working? We can really control what happens outside of one ledger. And yeah. actually, we 
are definitely uh, for the exploration of all of those uh, use cases and how it could be applied and uh, what type of technology could be used for it. And everybody comes in and brings in their own flavor. And that's great. Because, again, the industry is so young, we don't know what the future is going to be like. So then, you know, a lot of people get to sit back and scratch their heads and say, okay, well, that's nice. It's going to be public. How do you guys as one ledger monetize? Like, how do you make money and, and keep the doors open doing mm-hmm, this? Mm-hmm. So we are planning to monetize in the future because we are not monetizing like, right like now. Like, also your pre-revenue, like so many startups. And I, I just did the air quotes because that's what everybody says pre-revenue. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. But what's the, is there a vision for that? Or are you just mm-hmm. going to figure it out along the way? No, no, no. So because our engineers will be building the platform, so mm-hmm. they will know the platform best. And so we will, mm-hmm. once the platform is ready, we will go out there and consult for companies looking to get onto the platform. So our system is based on a modularized sort of, yeah, ar- architecture, if I can say that. Yeah. So a company, uh, a bank looking to have a module for a specific operation will come to the one ledger developers and say, okay, can you help me with that? And we will do it for them uh, very easily. They wouldn't need to train their developers uh, to do it because yeah. we will be ready to do that. So it's kind of like IBM develops the mainframe server, gives yeah. it away, right. and then exactly. charges for the consulting gigs. Exactly. Which yeah. makes sense. Mm-hmm. Of course, it's much cheaper to do it with mm-hmm. code than it is with hardware. So are you guys, have you guys done an ICO yet? Are you basically planning on monetizing that way at all? Like how, like where are the tokens going initially? Like how's it going to work? So actually we are planning to do an ICO. We've done a pre-sale already. Okay. And what's um, the token called? It's called OLT. Okay. And so... We've done a pre-sale already, uh, so we've got a lot of interest. And, and so the, the private, uh, the, the VC I was telling me about is the NAM fund. And we've been quite lucky in that, that we've been able to raise uh, enough. And so we will also be launching the ICO portion year toward the public in May. Excellent. And, you know, we're talking now as Bitcoin sits somewhere around, I didn't even check it out recently, I think 7,000-ish, mm-hmm. uh, down from almost 20,000 American. Yeah. Uh, you rolled your eyes. Mm-hmm. And when I hear yeah. that number, that's what I do. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm curious, how much did that entire collapse, mm-hmm. like, was there, I mean, it's, sorry, was there any kind of, like, skepticism that came your way after that? Or is that just kind of part of the community you don't pay attention to? I did pay attention to it because uh, even if I've been, uh, now I'm quite familiar with the whole uh, ups and downs of Bitcoin. Um, so what, is everybody exactly, paying attention to a newspaper. Exactly. Yeah. But like this past couple of weeks, have, it haven't been easy. And there's always been this sort of sentiment in the industry that if you truly believe in the actual technology and you're not just there for the short term, then you will hold it. So the yeah. holders, right? You'll hold it uh, because you know that the technology is going to improve lives. Yeah. So that's what I believe. But as in well. terms of the people, I think I, I get what you're saying. Like the people who are looking at it from the greedy, great, quick aspects and mm-hmm. are skeptical and 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 you know ticked off. When really that was never where the point, right? Yeah, it was exactly. never to get rich quick. And I've always often, you know, said and I said on this podcast, I love blockchain, but part of me hates Bitcoin because you know it's just this. That was such a Bitcoin at twenty grand was was a distraction. Mm-hmm. It was a distraction from the fact that we're looking at TCP/IP as as origination point. Mm-hmm. Right, we're looking at the future of the internet and every, every transaction at its origination point, and mm-hmm. everybody jumping in trying to make a quick buck because it went from God knows what to the twenty thousand mm-hmm. was a distraction. And I often, you know, when it started correcting, my hope was that you know that doesn't limit companies such as yourself mm-hmm. to suffer for the lack of attention or just get a black eye from it all. 
right? So you haven't felt the, you haven't, you know, in terms of, in terms of like public interaction, you haven't really felt, have you felt any kind of black eye from this? So I have to say that our target market is always not yeah. the people who don't believe in, in the whole technology, but people who already believe in it. So you're, you're basically appealing to the technologists, not the currency chasers. Exactly. Yeah. So we haven't felt that actually at all because uh, <laughs> we've had a very successful pre-sale. And actually, we've had had to say no to some people because we felt that they just didn't fit into our long-term strategy. So not really. I mean, so you said no to people on the presale to other tokens. Yeah, because they, they just didn't meet our uh, long-term strategy. So are you, just, are you targeting people with B two B plays? Is that what it is? Like yes, exactly. Yeah, so B two B and also people who can help us monetize the platform after the ICO because it's not just about the it's not about the quick buck it's about the long term Mm -hmm. so you're using the you're using the initial token sale or initial tokens as a way of bringing people into your network of supporters that will eventually push the the exactly okay fair Mm -hmm. fair enough so and you know in terms of funding this thing I mean you already mentioned some venture cap I take it that raising money on a good idea in blockchain these days is probably not a hard thing to do Mm -hmm. Uh, so can you speak to that experience you mentioned a couple of venture cap firms NAM fund. Yeah. Well, yes. I mean, so those firms, they have experts in their teams. And by no means, they don't just see an idea and say, okay, the idea is great. So let, let us invest in it. They go through, they review each proposition uh, very carefully. Mm-hmm. Uh, the team behind the idea, uh, the actual technology, can it be implemented? And is there any, when looking at the, the history of especially the founder, mm-hmm. is there anything that we need to worry about? And so NAM Fund has talked to us many, many times. So it's only after going through an extensive due diligence process that they invested in, in uh, one Yeah, job. I would think the fact that you're attracting, you know, top flight VCs is a mm-hmm. huge blessing. I mean, you know, I heard a stat about a lot earlier this year about fifty uh, percent of all the ICOs that came out last year already broke. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Because I mean, there's just when there's a gold rush, you get every Yahoo looking to do it, and unfortunately, everybody you know doesn't everybody who's basically doing something good doesn't necessarily get the right attention. So, what kind of challenges have you guys had thus far encountered thus far other than the traditional scaling up the team and money? Like, have you has this been a smooth process, or have you been blessed by a smooth process, or what, what's what's what have you encountered? The challenge. It's actually the challenge of all companies right now in blockchain is the lack of talent. So everybody is yes. looking for blockchain developers. There are none. <laughs> and they're um, all in their 20s? No. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, and blockchain developers are extremely picky. Yeah. So um, that is really the challenge. Well, because we all, They're the pretty girl at the dance right now. Exactly. <laughs> so we have to fight to get the, the best ones. And uh, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, with that, that is, yeah, that's something I haven't thought about. I mean, you're right. There's no, there's very little infrastructure for educating these people formally. What does it cost to hire a decent blockchain engineer? Are you free to speak about that? So I'm just going to talk, generally speaking, yeah. uh, for a really junior developer, you can actually spend, with just a couple of months of knowledge on blockchain, you can spend the 80K to begin with. That is just just okay. a couple of months. There you go, listeners. Your kids so, who are sitting around playing video games, get them learning blockchain. Exactly. Need a brand to start. My goodness. Exactly. Yeah. Well, that's I can't even imagine what these senior people must be getting. Well, but I mean, on the top- how many senior people can there be at this stage? <laughs> right. But on the topic of education, so that's where the blockchain hub comes in. 
Yes, let's, play, let's go to that actually, yeah. place. Yeah. So Blockchain Hub at York University. Tell me about what that's all about. So a Blockchain Hub is a nonprofit organization affiliated with York University. And it does primarily education mm-hmm. and then research and commercialization of blockchain startups, right? So the way I came into contact with One Ledger is because uh, One Ledger had applied for the incubator program of the Blockchain Hub. And then later on, tr- uh, asked me to train the, the firm. Uh, so One Ledger is not in the incubator program mm-hmm. right now, so there is no conflict of interest okay. here. But okay. uh, that's how I came in contact with One Ledger. So on the educational side, uh, Blockchain Hub provides a plethora of very uh, adapted courses to the needs, the current needs of the industry. One of them, uh, which I took myself, was the is the certified Ethereum developer course. But we mm-hmm. also offer a Hyperledger course, which is uh, one of the blockchain of choice from big enterprises, because it's uh, one of those that was actually established by IBM to cater mm-hmm. to the need of a data enterprise data to sometime be a private. Right, because usually blockchain is supposed to be public, so mm-hmm. it's out there, but not everybody wants that. So that's where Hyperledger came from. And then we, we just offer business professional courses as well for people who are just business focused. They do not want to learn about the, uh, the development part of the, of the blockchain, but they want to know how you, you, you build a business around blockchain. When is it appropriate? Mm. Because as popular as blockchain is right now, it's not the solution for everybody. No. Or for everything, right? I know usually yeah. people want that, but it well, is Well, it's not. funny. There was a Dilbert cartoon where like his boss says to him, I think we need a blockchain. And he's like, thought bubbly. like, this guy's no idea what he's talking about. Mm-hmm. And he asked the question, uh, what color do you think the blockchain should be? And he's like, I think orange is more efficient. Mm-hmm. It's like, again, like it, it feel like everyone's throwing blockchain mm-hmm. at everything because it attracts attention. It attracts, mm-hmm. you know, like there's been, there's been stories about companies who just added blockchain to their name and suddenly their valuation goes mm-hmm. to the roof, right? So yeah, it, it's a sexy word, mm-hmm. but... But you're right. Like the entire concept of building a sound business, it's a gold rush. People don't think about that. Mm-hmm. But eventually that's going to come to home. So I'd be very curious to see how they teach that concept around uh, around building a business around blockchain. So out of curiosity, is that are you guys, is that group doing like consultancy as well? Like are they, are they advising corporations on blockchain at this point? So the Blockchain Hub is not really in the business of consulting, but rather in the business of education, education. right? So that is where uh, we are focusing on. Mm-hmm. This is what we are focusing on right now. But uh, we do have a lot of companies that come to us and, and ask the same question. And uh, so then we reply, well, uh, what you can do is you can send us your people. We'll train them so that they know what to do, how mm-hmm. to implement blockchain from your end or how to resolve some of the problems that you have. It's interesting. Have you heard about the uh, student group at Berkeley that does consultancy? No. So uh, this came out on the information back in early February, but apparently one of the most prominent consulting groups in in uh, the U.S. right now on blockchain is actually a student group at Berkeley where they are teaching blockchain as well. But the groups just banded together a bunch of students and they're now getting paid big money by major corporations to consult on blockchain implementation. And these guys are still in school. Like, so the demand is just, I mean, it's so infant that you literally have students getting paid tens of thousands of dollars to basically weigh in on this. And I think people at the blockchain hub and students that are there maybe want to think about that. So 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 that's the thing. So for us, our target market is not uh, students, yeah. uh, meaning fresh so out of school students. Okay. They are usually professionals, right? Okay. So they are already coming with a certain background, a mm-hmm. proven background, and then they are adding blockchain on top of their, their tool, tool 
box of skill sets, if I can mm. say that right. So once they have that, they can now go out to those companies who are looking for people and either work for them directly or consult for them. Yeah. I've had people from Interact, from the banks, and mm. from even the, um, the investment firm OTPP. And so they come, they learn about blockchain, and they go back, and, and, and they become even better. Because we feel that blockchain is not, like I said, the solution for everything. It's just another skill set that you acquire to be more marketable. Yeah. So if you're a lawyer and you want to learn about blockchain, you take one of our courses, then you can now offer services within the blockchain industry. The uh, so really, it's more of a professional education type approach. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that's uh, that's valuable. I mean, I think I think it's also wise, also too, because people are able to bring what they've learned from their profession specifically right. mm-hmm. into this and think about the adaptation of that technology into that their space as mm-hmm. a means to an end, as opposed to just creating a token as a means to an end in itself. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting. So what are the age ranges you're seeing come into the blockchain hub? Like what, what's the appeal been thus far, or the backgrounds? Are these all people like in technology roles at those corporations or in leadership roles? What are you saying? Usually uh, they are usually mid, mid-level, mm-hmm. career level and up. And uh, we've had executives, with, we've had professionals with a couple of years behind them. So it's been sort of that range. Uh, but I have to say that in terms of developer, you, we talked earlier about the junior developer getting 80,000. But if you already have a lot of experience in te- technology and then you add uh, blockchain to it, then you get paid more than a junior developer yeah. because you already have something yeah. behind you, right? So Absolutely. I mean, you know, I think to myself, I got a friend who built various companies from scratch. I think to myself, well, he throws that on top of it. His his salary bump will be nice as well. So question. So in terms of your involvement at the blockchain, what's what's the most exciting aspect that you see there? What what excites you about about your involvement there? It's just, especially right now, it's such a small industry, actually. It is really a It's just, of course, the technology itself is quite exciting. Mm -hmm. But also, you meet so many people that... Uh, you wouldn't have, you wouldn't get to meet if it wasn't for blockchain. And, and they are usually uh, also people who are very prominent, right? Hmm. So it's just been a very exciting uh, place to be. And, uh, and then everybody communicates to you the same excitement that you have. Yeah. And then you also get to learn from them. From their experiences, so it's been just amazing. I mean, so this is frontier territory. I mean, like mm-hmm. you guys are the explorers of the future, right? I mean, that's yeah. I can't, you know, it's one of these rare moments in history where we can actually see a technology that's making it's going to make a monumental shift and be at the beginning of that. Right. So that's that's fantastic. So I'm going to ask you the exact same question about what excites you, mm-hmm. but this time it's going to go back to uh, to One Ledger. Okay. What excites you about what you're doing at One Ledger, and what what, uh, what do you think about the future there? So being able to resolve this is. This is undeniably a real problem for the industry, this interoperability issue. And so being able to participate in that uh, from my position, and not meaning not as a tech person, mm-hmm. but uh, more of an, on the public relations side of things, is just very exciting. And, and I'm also learning a lot about what it takes to, uh, how do you actually market a company, a blockchain company is right because it's different uh, like i was gonna the, say that's gotta be that's another question after that so yeah mm-hmm. go ahead yes so it's completely different uh it's 
not always about the, the big commercial stunts. It's not always about the big ads, but it's more about how you reach out to the actual community that will support your, your platform. What type of social media do you use? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, for example, in the blockchain industry, Telegram is one of the number one media mm-hmm. that companies use to uh, reach out to the appropriate community members, but also uh, measure the success of their uh, marketing efforts. So it's about the numbers, right? So if you are you have a platform of 10,000, 50,000 members, that tells you a lot about your progress in, the, in terms of marketing. But in the traditional business uh, side of things, it's a bit different, right? So, yeah. Interesting. So, I mean, you know, when you're talking, so really you're marketing, you're not marketing the general public, you're marketing essentially to other technologists mm-hmm. or other people interested in crypto. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, I can imagine you're probably all over Reddit as well. And then also to major corporations. So it's, you know, it's exciting times with this stuff. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So that was a lot, quite frankly, for, for blockchain, because it's just, you know, what's interesting with these conversations is that some of these companies go really long in the conversation about basic stuff, but you're such a fledgling point. The fact that we got this much interesting data is astonishing and it speaks to just the important thing that you guys are doing because I never even thought about it until you mentioned it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> these things talk to each other. So thank you very much for coming in. Very thank much appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. I Thanks. really appreciate it. So that was my interview with Athelia Del Bruce. I hope you enjoyed that. It is new frontier territory. Very exciting. And as I said, parents get your kids coding in blockchain because my goodness, 80 grand to start for a junior. Not bad. Thank you again for joining me. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. And of course, email communication is very much appreciated. And feel free to reach out to us on any of the various social media links we use. And with that, thank you again. And until next time. This podcast was brought to you by Woodgate Financial, an award-winning financial planning firm catering to high net worth individuals and their families. To learn more, go to woodgate.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, or find more episodes at fintechimpact.co.